Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, these are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Uh, yeah. So, without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. Well, we are thrilled to be joined by the very funny and talented writer and podcaster who you can hear on the wonderful NBA Baseline podcast uh, and his new podcast, Never Meet Your Heroes, in which he tells you all the most shocking details and twists and turns from celebrity backstories like Mark Wahlberg, Shia LaBeouf. We'll have to ask him if uh, he included Miles Gray's rap on group with Shia group? Yeah. in the uh in that backstory, uh, also Michael Jordan. He's one of the best followers on Twitter. Please welcome back to the show, Jabari Ali Davis! Hey guys, I appreciate you having me again. I'm not going to lie to you. I've already made the determination. I'm never going to over, you know, like outdo you guys with the intro. So my AKA is a coworker last week told me, you're exactly like Suge Knight, except for nice. And I guess what they really mean, <laughs> because I've been told this many times before, is you're a big black guy with a shaved head. So that's cool. Wow. <laughs> and you got a beard too. And I do have a so, beard. So Suge Nice. That's a good yeah, Suge that's nice. Kind of a cool. Suge nice. It was right there. It was right there. And no one yeah. I'm stealing that. Right. Uh, you gotta, you know what nice. you gotta do though. You'd be like, oh I'm like Suge, and you hold their ass over the edge of a building. <laughs> right, Give me your right. royalties right now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fuck um, around. You think that you're fucking stereotypical bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me another time I'll tell you I'll tell you a story about signing up for that man's, you know, that man's big hit song at karaoke mm -hmm. there in the valley, and he walked out because he was upset. Oh, wait, wow. what? He was at the karaoke bar. You so Ireland, Ireland Thirty Twos. It's a, it's a spot that's over there. I think what is it like Burbank or not Burbank, like Van Nuys or whatnot. I, I was there. You know, Rob Van was it Rob Van Winkle? Vanilla Ice was there. He was in the back. Uh -huh. He's having a good time. Folks are showing him love. So I figured, hey, look, we're here. We're gonna go ahead and do this. I signed up for it. The song came on. He gets up and walks out because, like, I guess he was offended by it. But whatever. Wow. Because you did Come Ice on, Baby. Man. Yeah. It's like, bro, Damn. this is what we know you from. Yeah, oh, I, I thought like, it what was. What the fuck uh, did you expect? That song. Have you ever made love in an inner tube by <laughs> Vanilla Ice off of uh, "To the Extreme"? I Wait, was, is that a song? Uh, that's not the title, but he talks about making love in an inner tube, which is like the sort of thing that a middle school student, which I was at the time, or I think elementary, actually, would like think was cool. <laughs> like, yeah, anybody well, who's ever had sex would be like that. That sounds really like. Uncomfortable, uncomfortable and uh, difficult. Yeah, you got to come from Tubin culture, not Jeffrey right. Tubin, but yeah. inner Tubin, and embrace your inner Tubin while you're inner Tubin, <laughs> as Vanilla Ice would. Yeah. We like to ask our guests, "What is something from your search history?" Last night I was reading about boxers because mm. everybody was watching Underwear? the no, like like oh. like the fisticuffs, pugilists. Yes. I was because um. My friend Jay King was talking about Logan Paul. Is Logan or Jake Paul who's the one who fights MMA or whatever? They both Jake, do. I think Jake fought last night. Just right. talking about how Jake is like a good character for fighting because mm -hmm. he's like a villain and everyone knows it and wants to see him get punched in the face. And if you know that you're the guy, back to Karate Kid, if you're the guy that like people will tune in to see you get punched in the face and you're cool with that, that's right. a good lane. That's a good lane. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was comparing him to other, I was trying to look up, like, who were some other, like, famous Irish boxers yeah. of the 30s. <laughs> right. 
And then I found this guy whose name I already forget, but who was like uh, a famous Irish boxer who was also like an actor. And I was like, that's Jake Paul. Yeah. Right. And was he also doing like black people versus white people boxing matches too? I mean, well, like, I think that was also what the 1930s was all about, right? right. Wasn't right. it? The like, race wars in the ring, folks. Right? Because I was like, huh, it's weird that all the boxers were uh, black, Jewish, Italian, and Irish. Right. <laughs> Almost right. like those are the people that had to take the money to get their lives punched out. Right. Like, sort of, did you see yesterday, a lot of people were like, did he take money to lose that fight? Because everyone was like, if you just kept fighting him, you would have probably won. But then Woodley lost in a split decision. Yeah, and everybody was mad because they just tuned in to see Jake Paul get his lights clocked Yeah, and that's the thing. You know what? And it's perfect. Like, as a money-making scheme, that's what you do. It's like Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, for a YouTuber, if you can get paid to just get punched in the face and you get, like, a few million dollars every time, like, do that until... And and you're an idiot who doesn't need a brain to function. Right. Just keep doing that. Yeah. But then also recently I looked up the Paul siblings and found out we have the exact same white ethnic background. (laughs) <laughs> so you may like, be ooh, am I related to the, me? Paul, yeah. to the Paul brothers <laughs> yeah they're a little bit Irish English and uh, a little bit German and Jewish allegedly oh okay huh. I think I was also like the the Paul brothers are Jewish like yeah. I know nothing and also is that my internalized anti-Semitism <laughs> for seeing these blonde idiot guys and not thinking they right, could be right, in the tribe but. you know <laughs> yeah, being Aryan gods uh, fighting on pay-per-view where most people are sc- The other part is I like how many people steal the fights, too, to also be like, first of all, I need to see him get his ass beat. Part two, I'm not paying to see him get his ass beat because yeah. I know part three, he probably has the fight rigged or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, but- he keeps fighting. I mean, he's carefully, like, selecting his opponents, uh, even though this guy was a professional MMA fighter who used to be successful. He hadn't won a fight in, like, eight fights. And he's smaller than him. He keeps fighting people who are much smaller than him because he's figured out that that's a massive advantage. Yeah, like people basically outside his weight class. <laughs> they're sort of turning it into wrestling, which is like yeah. pretty smart. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's very, I mean, if he hadn't invented himself like a like wrestling or like boxing promoter, would have invented him to make money off of like evil social media influencer guy who everybody wants to see get destroyed who like keeps selecting his his opponents so that they will never destroy him and we just mm-hmm. keep tuning in being like this is the one i really this want the, one, the, the guy who's 60 pounds lighter and uh and nine inches shorter this time right. this will be the one that'll be him. yeah i had no hope for this last one i am hoping that he fights miles garrett though the guy from the browns who would just fucking demolish him i hope um, he fights miles gray yeah i was gonna say i thought yeah you were like, um, okay jack yeah yeah back me. i feel like <laughs> miles i back you you could take him i fight dirty oh, for I fight sure. dirty. you could fucking you could you could hurt jake paul I, or i'll just start off crying again though you that. might just see him at a calabasas house party and like right exactly and then like push him he looks down, at you down, the wrong way stairs and he says, I, he says, what are you doing? And he does look just like Zabka, the villain from the Karate Kid. That's also. <laughs> yeah. And if he's like, right. hey, what are these uh, East Valley kids doing out here in Calabasas? Oh, like, oh, what are we doing here? 
smoke, baby. And then we're just all the goons come in and we and we steal all the things that aren't nailed down like we would at old house parties. And nice <laughs> does everybody come out? Would you steal? Oh, this <laughs> ashtray. It was made of marble. What is something you think is overrated? I, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I feel like somebody must have said this at some point, but I'm just going to throw out almonds. Okay. Mm. When he talked about almonds. Yeah. No, I overrated. mean, I mean, they take up way too much water. Yeah. 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 And they just kind of taste like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, what if, what if peanuts were like made of wood? You know, it's like <laughs> peanuts were made of wood. That's yeah. the vibe, though. That is yeah. They're the like vibe. They're, they're like splintery in your mouth. Oh, fucking... I'm 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 with you. Like they're I don't like and then, yeah, the raw like a raw almond is just like I have the same thing with carrots. It's just something about the texture. Yeah, is just I'm, yeah, bad. I'm not the biggest we, fan we of stop. carrots. And they're they're like bad for you know all that water they use up. Yeah, no, fuck almonds, for real. Like, do you, does this extend to almond milk for you? Yes, or? yes, yeah. it does. Okay. It does, because we have oat milk now, so we, we don't need almond milk anymore. And coconut milk, if you're if you're uh, trying to replace, like, whole fatty milks, coconut milk is really good. Yeah, and you know what? People don't fuck with coconut milk, which I think is wrong. I feel like coconut milk is underrated. Yeah, I'm... Mm. Maybe that should be my underrated. I, well, <laughs> I need to do yeah. cashew milk. You don't, wait, so you're saying you're the two of you, like, you just look at almonds and you're like, <laughs> get them away from me. Because I like a, I mean, look, I like a roasted almond. I'm not. Okay. That's I'm not, the thing. It's got to be roasted, right? Yeah, not yeah. Not in its natural form. Well, what most of the nuts we eat are roasted, right? On some level. Like, I don't eat raw cashews. I, I don't eat raw peanuts. I don't eat raw nuts. You know what I mean? I don't. But you know how it is. I'm saying if it like raw cashews, delicious. <laughs> oh, raw cashews are, are delicious. Yeah. Oh, naturally okay. delicious. Obviously better with extra, you know, roasting, flavoring. Sure, sure, sure. Ice. But I think au natural cashews are fucking dope. Okay. I just, know. I, I feel like almonds became the default nut at some point in the past, like yeah. 10 years. Right. Like over peanuts. So, yeah. Yes. The healthier like almond, alternative. Yeah, big, big almond, almond has been lobbying through. hard. Because they take a fucking, it's, I think it's something like a gallon per nut. Gallon yeah. of water yeah. per it's nut. Insane. And you're like, what? No, knock it off. Fucking yeah. knock it off. We don't, <laughs> we we don't, don't need almonds. That. That's where I'm like, we don't need almonds that bad. Fuck right. no. They're not even that good. Right. I don't think they're that good. And yeah, like like when you look at the water usage, like the little like curbs that they put on consumer like water consumption, like regular gen pop water consumption, like makes the smallest dent in the world when you compare it to just like doing anything to agriculture, like mm-hmm. because they just like use all the water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, wow. when you go down. It's like, yeah, this how much water an almond takes. It's like, yeah, but what about all the livestock? <laughs> that's where the water. That's where the real water's fucking going. Yeah. Uh, shit. What is something you think is underrated? The show Leverage. Have you just seen Leverage? I have not. Okay, lever- Leverage rules. Leverage is basically the premise of the show is every episode is. It's 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 a forty minute heist movie with con artists, except ba- ba- basically like they 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 steal from the rich and give it to poor people, 
And they do it by just running incredibly elaborate and absurd cons on people who suck. And it's, it, it is an extremely good time and more people should know about it because it's just, it's, it's just fun. Where, where can you watch it? Is it an um, old show? Oh, yeah. It was on from 08 to 2012. Yeah, there's a new season two that I, I think you can watch on Amazon Prime or something. But yeah, the, it was originally from 2008. And it's like a very, it's a very like post-2008 show in like the best way that I only sort of vaguely remember because I was like 12. But like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very post-2008 in that like, there's a bunch of rich people and they're all bad. And the goal of the show is to screw those people over. And it's oh, okay, right, right, right. Just like anger about the the cultural yeah. recession and the subprime lending shit. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it holds up, right? Because like even even when they brought the show back, like a, a lot of the sort of old shows that they reboot like are bad because they don't, you know, the the the, the premise of whatever it was about is like, eh. But and like is, you know, is it that that Robin Hoodness that you yeah, that yeah. really speaks to you? Yeah, it's, it's the Robin Hoodness, and then also this. I just I like heist movies, and this is like this is like five seasons of heist movie that's also con artists. Which is oh, just extremely fun. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because that was one of those shows too where I just saw the poster and I'm like, don't know what that's about. Yeah. <laughs> don't know what it's about. It's vague. <laughs> Looks like people standing in front of a truck. Okay. Maybe yeah. the truckers. But now, ah, uh, okay. This is interesting. I'll maybe I'll have to check this one. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good time. It was a TNT original, it looks like. It originally oh, no wonder. on TNT. Yeah, so. yeah. That's <laughs> when I was, I would never cast my eyes upon anything from TNT in that era. So, yeah, this, yeah. All, this all tracks for me. Back then, if you had suggested a TNT original, we would have cut your feed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not a lot. <laughs> Get yeah, out. I do feel like there are a number of shows, like, from that tier of cable. Like, um, I think... Suits is one of these that I I just don't I never gave a chance purely because they were on TNT or USA and I was like yeah well <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay uh, yeah like I'm gonna watch that white collar uh huh and they're probably I probably should have so I will check it out Leverage which you can watch on Apple TV for free if you have a uh, Apple or a uh, the, is that what it's called? Apple TV or Apple Plus? Whatever that Whatever is. Whatever it is. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> they have replaced Don't one of the main it. characters with an iPad, uh, however. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's so versatile. <laughs> As we talked about on yesterday's episode, uh, the Apple original programming is all just shot through with like kind of the most aggressive uh, product placement of all time. But all right. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back and we're just going to do like a general check in with the, the state of America. But before we do, we were realizing before we started recording, Jabari, that the last time you were on was January 5th. It's been kind of a, an uneventful eight months since then. Yeah. Uh, no, that, so the day before the uh, insurrection, you you were on here last. Um, so I'm just warning people, you know, watch out for uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. We'll see what happens. Don't sleep on the, the influence of of Suge Nice. Don't sleep yeah. on the influence. Exactly. exactly. Grow with the gravitational pull of Jupiter. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But, Miles, you were kind of, uh, you put together some thoughts on just sort of this idea of America's practice of selective empathy. 
Yeah. It's yeah. just like, you know, like just like last time with the media not talking about Afghanistan in one way, like now I look at, you know, with the conversation talking about resettling Afghan refugees, I was just, you know, seeing how the momentum was moving very swiftly, you know, because there's about 88,000 Afghans that assisted, you know, the occupying American and allied forces during the forever war. And now the U.S. is like obviously scrambling to relocate these people to fulfill a moral obligation um, since, you know, like leaving them and their family members behind in a place as the Taliban is like trying to have uh, retaliatory attacks against these people is just is what should be done on a minimum level, if not more people. And then you look at the polling, right? Americans are pretty much on the same page, like 90 percent of Democrats, 76 percent of Republicans are saying like, yeah, we like we're I'm open to I, I, I'm not opposed to resettling these people in America and understand like that the narrative is they helped the the army. So they should just like that's their ticket to the United States. And another story I read about these South Florida Republicans who were very enthusiastic about welcoming these people. And I'm not I don't have any opposition to the fact that they're open, that they feel, you know, aligned with this sentiment. But it just says like a lot, right? Because like at a minimum, it acknowledges that these people put themselves and their loved ones in harm's way to help the United States military. And they understand like the reciprocal nature of this transaction. Like that's okay, we get it. Y'all all could have got fucked up helping the U.S. Our, 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 you know, brave men and women out there. So this, this, you know, equates to a ticket back. But on like this other way, it just sort of underlines this fucked up way in which Americans choose to have empathy for displaced people. Like if you are working in service of the American war machine, then it's a no brainer that, right. you know, like, oh man, like you, like, cause then it's like, you were one of the good ones. You know what I mean? Like we came fucked up your country. You still helped out. You know what? That's worth a ticket back here. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then, you know, and then on, even though like normally the narrative around Afghan refugees like on Fox has basically been terribly Islamophobic and xenophobic and, you know, ethno-nationalist. Yeah. But 76 percent of Republicans feel that it is our duty as Americans to take these people in. And I'm just like, what the fuck? What does this say about every other situation that we're involved in? That intersects with the United States foreign policy and displacement of people and even domestic policy and displacement of people that where does I, it's just it's it's uh, it's amazing to see how people can just selectively be like, yep, those people deserve empathy. Those people at the border, not so much. I mean, granted that you can draw straight lines from American foreign policy and intervention in Latin America to why we have this immigration problem. And on the same level, if it's like, well, these people are displaced because you get cheap fruit for the for fucking dole or whatever that there's no there's no empathy there's no understanding of what the the root causes are and it's just kind of you know i'm just sitting there thinking right here's another example of all that right it's well i wonder if it's because the cheap fruit is like you know it's implicating the consumer you know it is it it kind of gets mm -hmm. at the the this undercurrent where it's like yeah, all of this is being done to just feed the kind of massive consuming machine that America has instead of a soul. And we don't want to acknowledge that. Right. And if you go just slightly broader, right, the fruit is like one dimension because the whole point of fighting all these, like all the intervention in Latin America was the way the U.S. was fighting the Cold War. Right. Communism. The whole thing was like, do not, do not let communism root on the continent 
and we'll do whatever the fuck we have to do by hook or by crook to f- figure out how to stop that momentum. So on some level, you could argue that this was happening to protect America's freedom, right? Like that that rhetoric is sort of that like or logic was being applied. Yet again, we look at displaced people from there and go, oh, that's that's your problem. That's right. your problem. Well, I mean, really, the uh, it it has always felt like the cutoff, and it's it's very clear at this stage, especially over these last couple of years, the cutoff is like, do we feel like these people have you know have value to us? Do we? And I'm not saying the three of us. I'm not saying like you know you know those of yeah, us no. that actually have natural empathy. But I'm saying you know you know the general public. Oftentimes, it seems like if they if we don't feel like you know there, there's value, monetary actual value to you, then it doesn't matter. And and, and, then, and, right? and, that, and that's more telling about, you know, about society because, you know, and, and it's actually it's not just how we look at, you know, at, you know, you know people in foreign lands, it's how we look at people in America. If you are poor, you ain't you, you're, you ain't shit. You know, like if, if you yeah. if you're, you're not, not American, out there working, you're if you're not out there contributing to the, you know to this system, then you, you know, you're not worth our time. So. Yeah. It, and, and like and I get, though, too, you know, a big difference is with Afghanistan and, you know, everything that happened in 9-11. There was just, you know, nonstop. It was a primetime TV conflict for, for, for a certain point. And so people and there was countless TV shows, you know, and and um, films that were like talking about like what's happening over in the Middle East and things like that post 9-11, that that was a thing that people had just like this sort of concept of. But there isn't much talking about American intervention in other places and things like that. And this, but but then I'm like, OK, well, maybe it's a historical thing, right? Like, because people know what what's going on in Afghanistan and like they're like, OK, well, that I, I understand why we need to extend empathy there, even though truly it's not even it's only being extended to 88,000 people among millions in the region. Right. But it's the same thing with like black Americans. We fucking built this country. Right. And the land was stolen from indigenous people. Yet these groups are still like, I don't know what the fuck y'all problem is. Right. What is your what is going on? And, and, and so. It's just it's just re- it's like sickening to watch how certain issues that deal with things that are happening within the country and are so clear of like why we need to correct things, you know, but there's just not the energy for that yet. For these things, there's like a lot of there's just a lot of media momentum and Americans can selectively say like, right, I, I totally understand why we need to our obligation to resettle these these refugees Yet we still are unable to look at all these myriad of ways that we're connected to other struggles and problems within the country and outside and still not be compelled. Because it's yeah. easy to turn a blind eye and, you, and you know, the next thing will come Absolutely. up and we'll, we'll all obsess about that. I actually have to, you know, honestly, y- y- y'all know, like, I appreciate shows like this. I appreciate Ethnically Ambiguous and, you know, the, like those wonderful ladies, Anna and, and both Anna and Shireen, you know, for pointing stuff like this out, whether it's on, you know, whether it's on the shows, whether it's on, you know, you know, whether it's on the timeline. And actually, you know, through conversations with Anna in particular, you know, like she was the one who pointed out, like, you know, we, we as a country, we, we definitely pick and choose. We definitely pick and choose what's going to matter, who's going to matter, you know, how much it's, you know, it's going to matter. And we really can't do that. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it, well, I say we really can't do that. Yes, we can, but we obviously really shouldn't because look at where we're at. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. And this whole thing is just about preserving, like, like you say. We, we're selective about where we choose to understand what's at stake or what the consequences were for other people based on certain policies. And and like and then the second we try to inform people, right, of like history, we see what happens. It's just met with rage and violence 
because it's, you know, the, the whole the ignorance is meant to intended to sort of preserve this American sense of moral purity. And with Afghanistan, I think it gives people a really easy thing to be like, yep, there was a war there. These people are basically they fought on this team, so they get to come on back on the bus back to the, the locker room after the game kind of mentality. But the second it bega- begins to really sort of intersect with something a little more like closer to home or something that you may actually have to think about deeper than just merely this like very clean sort of logic path, then yeah. it becomes chaotic and things like that. And it's yeah, it's just it's fucked up because there's countless ways that people are being left behind, whether it's in the Middle East, in South Asia, wherever. But we, you know, we we, we chug along on this path and like we only see things get worse. So I'm just kind of thinking like, what does it take? You know, because if it's not about connecting people to the history to understand sort of like the U.S.'s place in that, I, what like what will do it? Yeah, there's I, Americans seem particularly bad at feeling empathy towards poor people in our own country because I think there you know we I talk on here a lot about like just the work the like psychological work that needs to be done to for like kind of the the passive white supremacists in the country to just like go about their daily lives and like kind of push down whatever that that reality is whatever realities are hitting them like whether it's somebody living on the street or you know the videos of police shooting innocent people of color like there's just so much work that's having to be done for them to like block that out and so by letting in empathy for anybody in the country already you're almost having to admit like that that whole thing is on shaky foundation whereas i feel like the afghanistan war and the iraq war the media and the american people were able to like kind of think of it as a thing that was separate from them and so that's enabling them and then you know the specifics of the really shocking and horrifying footage from the airport uh, especially in those early days i think like probably just crystallized things in the kind of american consciousness which is wild though too because there's so many people that are destitute yeah here yeah and and yeah like it's just this it's like we just want to put our eyes on the thing that feels like it can be solved in that one thing Oh, yeah. the Afghanistan thing can be solved if we get enough people on planes and then yeah. it's over and I have to think about it and it's done. I look at, you know, you look at things that happen on the streets of any city, Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York, L.A., wherever there's there's real problems. And it's much easier, I guess, to go down that path to think of how we can solve that is just a, too much of a, a task for some people to engage in mentally when most of it really is just about being like, no one's asking you to solve it, but like, fuck, man, have the same feeling for th- for that. If you if your heart's broken, seeing people who are clinging to, you know, trying to escape their country to get here and you can somewhat understand like, oh, yeah, I, I get that. Just just open your heart a little bit. You know what I mean? To be able to to have that sort of same level of of compassion for more people. But I don't know. That's just that's me being like, what's what's wrong with us? 
but it, it it also feels like all of this is you know very very specifically by design like for instance there's a reason why we didn't ever see the footage of you know like what was going on in Afghanistan there's a reason why we didn't see the body counts there's a reason why they didn't even keep track in a lot of you know in a lot of situations mm -hmm. there's a re like you know, it, and the same thing goes where you know you know domestically individuals are no longer seen as individuals. If we just call them gangs or we say that it's gang violence, instead of saying like, these are people, these are Americans that are, you know, they're suffering, that are in terrible situations that are, you know, innocent, you know, you'll be, you'll be beyond beliefs at, 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 in a lot of, in a lot of situations, it's easy to just ignore. It's easy to, you know, like, you know, to, to look past people. Like it, it's mm -hmm. the same, it's the same thing. You pull up, you, you put like, let's say you're getting off the freeway, you're getting off the 405. There's a dude sitting there right at, you know, right there waiting for money. It's real easy for folks to roll that window up, turn the music mm -hmm. up and look forward. Right. That's what we've always done. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah. And, and I know like on some level, like, you know, it's, it's a feeling of shame or powerlessness, like someone, you know, depending on how you, you process it at times, like for me, it's like a feeling of shame, like, fuck man, like I can't like this. I feel so helpless that there's this person who's my age who is we're probably coming from very similar circumstances and this is how things shake up because this is how things are you know sort of designed in the country yeah it's just and i think it's it can be overwhelming for a lot of people on some level too but it's just like this sort of very it's it's like one of the many superpowers that americans and and american media have created to sort of keep the status quo going in this direction, which is one that doesn't really care for people that are marginalized or in need of help. Just yeah. focus on like, focus on the people who, who got it. Right. All right. Let's uh, talk about a new research poll from Pew that is revealing the, the, one of the big differences between red and blue that uh, we, we weren't aware of. I wasn't personally aware of. Yeah, kind of makes sense. Well, what is this new? Where is this new arena for political engagement? It is over the topic of walking around your town. Yeah. So when they look at these, they they just took a quick survey. I'm just curious about like in the post pandemic, do people want to like live in larger homes or that might maybe more spread apart with distance between them? Do would they rather be closer to people and be able to walk to places and just have like more of that kind of thing? So apparently only 22% of conservatives that they pulled want to live in a walkable neighborhood, while 77% prefer driving everywhere. But what's funny, though, too, is when it comes down to Democrats or people who identify as liberals, they say 40% of moderate Democrats and 57% of liberals, quote unquote, want walkable neighborhoods, resulting in a 50-50 split among Democrats. So it's just odd to look at these numbers. Like, I, sure, I, I can understand why if you love your fucking truck or whatever you want to walk around or drive around or m merely because you don't want to be around people. But to think like for what you see as like stereotypical liberal ideology would be more like environmentally conscious. And maybe you'd think that people would be like, oh, I would like better design of or better planning of my city so I could walk around and do things like that. But it seems like they're split a little bit more. Yeah. I guess I understand why conservatives don't want a walkable neighborhood, but like, what is the, so they just don't want people walking past their house. I, I think it's the same the... thing, right? If you're, you don't want a sense of community, probably ultimately. No, or you, you don't want, want your proximity. house. You want your, your land and no one's allowed on your land. 
We see this in Los Angeles, where it is not a walkable city and not a great public transportation city, although it's gotten better in some ways. Slowly. Slowly. Where, yeah, it's like people don't even want other people's cars parked on their block because uh, homeownership makes people fucking insane. I think this issue is super complicated, especially in California, because the walkable Mm -hmm. cities thing is also like sometimes that's a dog whistle for gentrification. Right. But what we really need is just like better public transport. I mean, I think some of the walkable city stuff is also like taking this European idea of the walkable city where everything's central that hasn't existed in California or or anywhere in the United States since like the 1950s, you know, ever since car culture. Yeah, they're like, hey, what if we gave you a bunch of money to make sure people had to have a car to live in this place? For sure. But even like like even walkable cities, even places like New York that are like, we're the place where you can go everywhere. You know, people have cars and people move to the suburbs and then drive from the suburbs. The idea of the suburbs is really the thing that killed walkable cities. And liberals are just as into the suburbs as anyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. This thing with like, especially in L.A., right? Like there's because people don't aren't really pedestrians. They're in their cars all the time it really diminishes your ability to feel connected to anyone else. Oh, I completely disagree with that. I totally disagree with that because I think the idea that you're like connecting with people around with you, that New Yorkers are always like, yeah, I'm just talking to everybody on the subway, running into my friends all over town. (laughs) Absolutely not. People can be completely isolated in a crowd of people. In fact, You can feel the loneliest you've ever felt in a huge crowd of strangers, you know? Everyone Mm -hmm. is not your friend, necessarily, immediately. I have all kinds of social interactions from my car. I have, like, dazed and confused interactions, which to me is, like, just as, counts just as much as, like, talking to somebody on the street. What are dazed and confused interactions? Where you, like, talk to somebody out your car, where you roll down your window and talk to somebody. Uh, Yeah. I went out the other night. And I talked to, like, some guys on a motorcycle (laughs) uh, who started hitting on us from from the motorcycle. And then I went to Del Taco at midnight, and I ran into my friend Michelle, who was also at Del Taco at midnight. Just in the line at the drive-thru? Yeah. Nice. Honking behind you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying, you know. But I think the reason I bring that up, right, is because... I, I I totally agree in that even just being physically in proximity to someone doesn't necessarily create a sense of community. But there's a way that you can absolutely shut yourself off by being in a car all the time in a way that like it's it's much easier to insulate yourself. I know there are ways to do that in many walkable what cities. What do you think? Like, no even, headphones, man. Like people are putting their earbuds in. Like, But there's a difference, right, between you never seeing somebody like you know, of of any different social class or whatever, and you have whatever idea built up because it's born out of some media diet or whatever your social group says about a given group, another group. And I think being in a car really does allow that to reinforce in a way that I think is can be pretty exceptional. I think you are very much you're a very social person. I'm, I'm a social person. A I also cross the line. But I think there is like even for me recently, right, I started riding my bike more. Because I wanted to be, I wanted to like actually feel like be around my neighborhood, 
see people out of their homes too and reinforce this idea that like I'm also around other human beings that are trying to live in the same way versus it's easy to get caught up inside, or, I guess more so in the pandemic to get inside your house and just start creating a sense of the world that might not actually exist because of like what you're consuming media wise. So for me, I, and maybe this is just more of a personal thing, I found it a lot easier to be like in public space around other people. And I'm not necessarily talking to people, but there is something that just feels different than being in a car and just like just having, you know, like completely sort of insulated. From yeah, I, I guess it's also like I feel like in LA people drive somewhere to walk, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's yeah. like people do walk. They just have to drive somewhere to walk there because it is <laughs> right. a gigantic place and we don't have the greatest public transportation. Right. It's uh, like, yo, let's uh, let's drive 40 minutes to go walk 40 minutes. Uh, pretty much. That is, you know the, what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and like, I think that's what I love about biking or I'm getting more into it now. Is no, like, I like I'm cutting I, down a lot of short. Stuff I like and biking. I do. I think out there. I think biking in L.A. is kind of terrifying because of yeah, the car yeah. culture. Yep. You know, I've been other places where I'm like, it's easier to bike here because it's a bike. Like, I do think having real bike lanes would be great for mm -hmm. for la we could use yeah. a lot more bike lanes everything is definitely centered around cars i do think cars here are a little bit like guns in texas and that you will pry them out of our cold dead hands right <laughs> right, right right you know because yeah, that's how yeah like so i do think partner... we're just gonna get we gotta get better electric cars rather than Try. I don't think there's going to be an LA without cars ever. Probably. No, no. People are too habit, like just habitually. I mean, just there will be an LA without cars. cars, but it'll be after like. Yeah, you know. that's when the yeah. roaches are running. Yeah, shit. yeah, yeah. But yeah, like you know, my partner, for example, she's from DC, so her outlook on using a car is so different than mine. Being a valley scum rat kid who like the car was your like to me was like liberation <laughs> like when you're younger, and so there are a lot of times she's like, why wouldn't you just walk there? And I'm catching myself I'm like. Cause this is LA, and then I'm like, man, I'm completely fucking. I'm not even looking at things I in mean, a way that will allow me to like actually just make a short. You walk. could have good public transportation and walkability, but then you'd have to live in Washington D.C. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the trade-off. I mean, yeah, as yeah, we yeah. found out in the movie Crash, sometimes those of us in LA crash our dang cars that's into what each I'm other saying. Again, just to feel connected. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it is because I just go out cruising all the time looking for <laughs> action and like, you know, yeah. crashing into people. <laughs> vibing with the city, as, as yeah. Miles once said, he thinks I do all day, which is what I do all day. <laughs> but yeah i do just think like the idea that car culture is inherently isolating is not i don't think it's true yeah but also yeah it's nice to walk i walk around in my neighborhood but yeah. also because la is so spread out it's like sometimes you walk somewhere and you don't see anybody yeah and it's and i think that's what's also kind of a bummer too because like i'll go on parts of like the la river and bike and like you'll see these like pockets where there's a lot of people and then suddenly i'm like it's a, there's like tumbleweeds and shit. Well, I love the tumbleweeds. Nice. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. you know, this is again, back to like the urbanism stuff, like the big issues in California are that we need more dense housing for people because we are a city of a lot of people, but there's all these single family homes and that's what everybody thinks they get if they go to California. Right. But right. we can't have that anymore. And 
again, I do think people are going to maybe hold on to that idea a little bit with their cold, dead hands as climate change happens. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, because we're sort of all inundated and like inoculated with the concept of like American wealth building is based on real estate holdings. Right. Which doesn't work anymore when the houses are burning down all the time and uh, being you know, flooded by hurricanes and especially as insurance companies start to drop people that are in natural disaster zones, which is what I think Mike Davis said is probably going to happen next, you know, Mm because so far it's just been like everything burns down in Malibu or whatever, and then they just build it back bigger every time. Right. But there will come a point when the insurance companies refuse to do that. But then what happens, like banks are like lobbying and they're like, homeowner's insurance is a is a right like it's fucking medical insurance you know what i mean to keep no this concept and i think afloat. i don't know i think uh people are are also just thinking about where they do want to live i do think that i i do know some liberals who moved to some walkable cities mm-hmm. because they yeah. were like if i'm stuck at home during the pandemic I'd rather be somewhere I can like walk around and walk to a place that I want to go than out right. in the suburbs where I thought I wanted to be. Right. Yeah. And just walk four miles and all you see is like a desolate spearmint rhino like in an industrial park. <laughs> okay, but that's yeah. the beauty to me, Miles. You know that. Like, Oh, I love it, but I'm saying yeah, <laughs> like we people walked... don't know. They're not used to that one in North Hollywood. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's like we walked to the Century 8, which... um. I think is a different theater called something else now, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But I looked it up recently on Yelp and was very delighted to see that the <laughs> reviews were like, this place is still very Spooky. scary at night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spookiest fucking theater. So everybody was like, this is the sketchiest parking lot I've ever been in. I was like, like man, no. I love the valley. Yeah. They're like, no, they shot a fucking, uh, what's not Wonder, Captain Marvel in that parking lot. <laughs> Did they? I think so. You're talking about the one in North Hollywood, right? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of scary theaters in North Hollywood, though. Yeah, but that one by the all. Old Wells Fargo Bank that has, like, the huge mural on oh, it. Oh, that's, that's the other one. That's the United UA. Artists that's the, Yeah, one. that's that one's closed forever, I think. Century 8 is yeah. still open, and you can go see movies there. Because I was like, now that the Arclight's closed, where can I go see, like, if I wanted to see, in, like, a Fast and the Furious movie? Like, where would I even mm-hmm. go? And yeah. I was like, what yeah. if I just start going to that theater again? Which I could walk yeah. to, so maybe that brings it back. Maybe you're right. Maybe we all love walkability. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about how COVID is affecting rap rock legends of our youth. And we're back. And our it's guest- time. Adam Levin has been replaced by super producer Anna Hosnier. Streaming corner corner assholes. Open your ears. Sorry. Yeah. Hard pivot from that very serious conversation about security and privacy. (laughs) And now the pressing issues of our time, the way we distract ourselves healthily from that television. TV. Although this... I feel like this show really nailed something about the zeitgeist or mm-hmm. just, I guess, America. Oh, White Lotus or? Yeah, White Lotus. Our oh, show okay. definitely okay. always uh, is always nailing the zeitgeist. That was Hello, Anna Hosnier. Uh, thank Hi. you for joining us. What? Why, why did we watch White Lotus? What, what, what struck uh, well, you when you first all, said, why aren't you watching it? 
What was Pony? Well, okay. First, I have to do my Streaming Corner theme song. Okay. okay. Go, go, go. And a one, a two, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Ten da It's a streaming corner. It's a streaming corner. Anna, you didn't watch White Lotus, did you? You didn't watch it. You're just. Oh, God. I knew this was going to happen. So I missed all that. I was doing my theme song. <laughs> uh, we were just saying that this is your way of uh, delaying because you didn't actually watch White Lotus. Like, but, when we uh, asked you about Godfather 2 and you went, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more offended than people just speaking through my 45 minute streaming corner <laughs> intro. <laughs> we were just so confused. We didn't want to get scammed again. No, I was just, um, I was, what is it when you're like pulling from someone? I was pulling my inner Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Oh, right, right. You're channeling. Channeling. You're channeling. channeling. There yes. you go. Um, I guess before we get into the, just the talk, I'll just, I will read what the description of White Lotus is. So if you haven't seen it, you understand what we're going to be ranting and raving about. They say from Mike White the creator of HBO's Enlightened. The White Lotus is a sharp social satire following the exploits of various employees and guests at an exclusive Hawaiian resort over the span of one highly transformative week. As darker dynamics emerge with each pressing day, this biting six-episode series gradually reveals the complex truths of the seemingly picture-perfect travelers, cheerful hotel employees, and idyllic locale itself. Okay. There it is. And uh, another interesting fact, Mike White did, in fact, go to high school or college, I forget, with my friend Lori's wife. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, she so told me that the other day. Now we're awesome. cooking with gas. Now we are cooking. <laughs> he also, did he write, he wrote School of Rock. He's had enlightened. a very... Enlightened with Laura Dern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But also School of Rock. He's Okay, he's... stop bringing up School of Rock every so, five minutes. anyways, well, I want to bring up Libre. School of Rock. But interesting, kind of varied career. But this is, I don't know, very kind of keenly... Just uh, sharply observed about the one percent, I guess, and uh, and their relationship to themselves and their world and their their leisure, their leisure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was. How do we get into this? What do we? What do we? Well, well I mean, what? Yeah. Go should on, I just say? So, like, I know there's been a lot of think pieces on it and all that, but you know, I'm, I'm not really one that thinks too hard. So, I just thought it was just like a fun dark comedy mm -hmm. that just like kind of you know showed that rich white people are just like vapid idiot losers, and that's just kind of like funny to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a simple <laughs> woman. Like, I'm really simple. Like, if you're like, look at this rich white woman like she doesn't get that like white men are over i'm like <laughs> <laughs> it's a mess so dumb well, so like that's is... all it really takes for me yeah well i think because a lot of people i felt like were mad because they were expecting this show to have some kind of really biting yeah. sort of commentary on what it was and i get that maybe you thought because it was like adjacent to something really interesting because throughout this show like there is this juxtaposition of like understanding like what life is like for the people of Hawaii, like the the relationship that it has to the mainland and like just how like sort of the caste system that even annexation has created in that sense. But there's also like 
there's just, yeah, this dark comedy aspect about it, which just sort of makes it palatable. And I, in the beginning, I thought maybe this was going to be a broader commentary on something like that. And in the end, it just was really just sort of this very more narrowly focused dark comedy. So I didn't mind that it didn't have that because I also, it was kind of one, a very American thing where like the show almost was able to like observe an issue or like a controversy, but not quite have a reckoning with it. So it was just right. sort of like, damn, that's fucking wild, huh? This shit It's sort of like yeah. what the vibe was of the show rather than like, this is why we need to really seriously talk about like what it means to have annexed the kingdom of Hawaii. Oh, right. What, okay. You know, like all these other things, like what it means for the, these power dynamics among all these other people. But really, it was just a mess. What it means to place. occupy Hawaii. Uh, yeah, I know. And and uh, the kind of the great part about it is that like it just. I kind of liked it's like you didn't really try and I'd rather you just didn't try like you created <laughs> humor in the fact that like these people were really shitty and you're pointing it out but like they didn't really make that much of an effort and it's like I'd rather them not make an effort than make like a half-assed effort at something you know what I mean right and fall flat trying to be yeah. like deep with it but I feel like the commentary was all there. I like the it def- definitely didn't end in a satisfying way, but the way it ended was that the people who you've kind of just been disgusted by the whole time because they are just myopically just obsessed with their own privilege and like preserving the illusion that they deserve like everything and like fighting anybody who's in the service in service positions like they just get away with it and don't learn their lesson and that's just like that right, that but, is how it works yeah but didn't that all feel like just in the writing like very surface level like there were a lot of things that they just touched on that they very quickly very like it was just like <laughs> and then they like you know moved on like i feel like yeah you know they'd be like this guy hates the manager or whatever jake lacy's character oh, hates, shane uh, hates armand yeah, yeah shane right. hates armand and it's like okay but we're not really going to explain or like explore further like what the fuck is wrong with shane and like why you know like other than him being like look i was just born into this okay like what am i supposed to do and it's like yeah surface level that's who he is and that's all these people right. are they're all surface level people right yeah, 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 maybe that is maybe that is the observation. So, like, just to give people an idea, like, there's like this tension. There's uh, this character Armand, who's like the hotel manager. Then there's a couple of Nicole and Mark, which is played by Connie Britton and Steve Zahn, who's like this wealthy couple who have brought their kids and one of their kids' friends with them to just kind of like have one of those rich people vacations. Mm. And then the other st- the other storyline involves Tanya, which is Jennifer Coolidge's character, who's like mourning the loss of her mother. And is there to spread ashes alongside this newlywed couple of Shane and Rachel, where this journalist has like married rich and is kind of having this existential dilemma of like what that means for her. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think that there's something where when they're on vacation, they are left with too much time to think about like just themselves and how awful they are. So they like do things like create the issue with Armand that that Jake has or Connie Britton who's like supposed to be a Sheryl Sandberg type character is like at one point like moving furniture around the hotel room like just like doing these things like creating these tasks and these problems to just like focus on to like continue this like sort of endless like competition and like urge to prove Something that, like, I feel like deep down they know they can't prove, which is that they deserve any of this shit. 
Mm. What's mm. um? I I mm. I want to say that this mm. the one of the best mm-hmm. things about this show were like some of just the individual performances. Yes, and I don't know. I just want to maybe go around and we can talk about some of our favorite people from the show. I remember when I wasn't watching yet, and Anna was, and you're like, "Dude, Jennifer Coolidge mm. is fucking crushing this whole fucking show." And Tour that's when Force. I was like, "I'm watching because I'm such a Jennifer Coolidge fan." And yeah, Tanya's character was. Oh, we're called Cool Dogs. <laughs> hey, where you at? Uh, where are the cool dogs at? But yeah, like honestly, her performance was like fantastic, and like her sort of storyline with Belinda and uh, Natasha Rothwell's character was yeah. just like this fucking strange journey of like white saviordom and guilt, and yeah. like also people trying to act like they were being authentic by offering or not offering money. It was a it was a lot. It was a lot. Right. Yeah. I, you know, Jennifer Coolidge, I mean, truly like a legendary actor who, like comedic actor who never really, I think, like, she, I feel like she gets, you know, pigeonholed a lot in what she has been offered in the past. And it was like really nice to see her like playing this, uh, like just showing that she has like this wild range where she can play like this, like, what is she? She calls herself a alcoholic what? She calls yeah. her like an alcoholic psychopath or something? Yeah, yeah. Like, she's like, under like, all you're gonna the layers, you're just going to find an alcoholic <laughs> psychopath. And you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Right>. wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, that level of just, like, madness, you're like, wow. She's kind of, and the thing is, she's nailing it. Like, her character, every person she interacts with, I immediately feel bad for them. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> like, like oh, that's no, how you're you know she's nailing it. Yeah, she just walks up like, Right. Are you having a good time? <laughs> and you're like, no. Get away. <laughs> She's trapping you. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. good. She reminded me of the character in um Shadows, the the energy vampire. Yeah. Um, like oh, she right, right, just right. like yeah. came in and would destroy the life force <laughs> of everyone except the dying guy who she ultimately ends up with. Right. Uh, I do want to add this one thing. Those characters of Paula and Olivia, like the Gen Z college yeah, girls. Nailed it. My dad said he it, like they made him feel so uncomfortable that he couldn't get past the first episode because he was getting like Zoomer anxiety. He's like, yeah. oh, man, they're like, they're just going to fucking read your ass. And like, you don't know what to do. And he was like, get, he was feeling that off the screen. He's like, yeah, couldn't really get past that first. Yeah, <laughs> they nailed the cruelness that Gen Z can bring. Yeah. In their critiques. And you're like, yeah. oh, my. Just like them reading at the po- the look that they both give you at the same time. And you're like, no, 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 no. Don't look at me. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> these characters are like almost like, you know, they have like the cutting commentary that like a five year old would where they'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, you're bald. And you're like, oh, OK, <laughs> thank you, young child. But they're just like. You're like a empty, like lame wannabe wife. Like they have like this expanded yeah. vocabulary and a, know a lot more like psychological terminology. So like it's like right. the same kind of observation, but it just cuts you in half. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just, also they're just like disdain for things too. I think was really that line where they're like, "Do you guys meet on Raya?" Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh damn! Oh, oh. Wow. Okay. Is uh, that who you and are? She's just like, mm. oh. 
no. <laughs> like, yeah. They're just like, damn, they just come for you immediately. The reading is like the the books they're reading are like know, these like, like high and, like Nietzsche and like and Freud. Freud. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like okay, uh, <laughs> nobody wants nobody actually reads uh, that. But um, and then Jake Lacey, the like bro character who's like inherited a bunch of money and like seems to have like the most violent conflict with like Armand. just well just with every everything yeah. about himself and like. He's always reading Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blink. And he's never blink, yeah. yeah. And never making any progress in it. It's always like at the same place. Yeah. I thought it was He so captures good. like guy who says he's gonna read on a trip energy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'm a, dude, I'm bringing the book here. I'm bringing the book there. I'm bring I brought it to bed. No, I didn't read it. Right. But I was about to, but you know, vacation, dude. Reading feels and I like gotta work. say. Molly Shannon comes in. I mean, Kitty. Molly Shannon is honestly like every every role she plays immediately is be- like she just progresses in a way where I'm like, she is so fucking funny. She just comes in yeah. as the mom who's just like, you know, like you're pretty, you know, like that wedding. I blacked out. And you're like, yeah. what are you I don't remember like, it just, at all. <laughs> you know, she keeps saying that. It's like, what are you saying? People say it's lovely. I don't remember that at all, but it was <laughs> great, like, right? Nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like no. her and I, I feel like the character, Jake, the mom, Molly Shannon and the two Gen Z girls were like the ones that like stuck out to me as like the most, I don't know, like I hadn't seen them on camera, like in a thing before, like nailed oh, right. to that, that degree. Like, sure, yeah. like that yeah. archetype. Because they're, yeah, there's like a lot of pain in them, like the, like, right. that is... And the way they deal with it is, like, very pathetic and, like, just completely, right. like, transferring, like, their anger about one thing to another thing. And they just really, like, nailed it in a way that felt realistic and yet, like, so just obvious. And also, mm-hmm. Steve Zahn. I forgot about Steve Zahn yes, until Steve I saw him again. And I was like, oh, wait, Steve Zahn is actually hilarious. His whole, like, meltdown through the series of, like, he finds out his dad died of AIDS and and he's like, I just, <laughs> just well, first he thinks he has testicular cancer. Then he finds out his dad died of AIDS because he was, you know, bisexual or, or gay. Full, I don't even know. It's not really explained. And then, right. he finds, then he's like, starts to be like, he starts melting down because at one point he had an affair and decides he wants to be open with his son. And his son is really not accepting. He's just like, okay, cool, okay, dad. dad. Like, stop right. telling me about this. So I got <laughs> your then, mom that $50,000 bracelet because yeah, like, they cheated on her. They're so, like, his character. And then just, like, that scene at the dinner where they're like, be nicer to your brother. You know, it's tough for young white guys. And then, like, Paula, they're like, well, you know, the daughter is like you've never even asked paula a question and he's like well paula right. doesn't know anything about me and she's like well i know about your balls bro <laughs> like, what do you mean he's been walking then, around lamenting that yeah and then he's like okay fa- ask me a question paula and she says what do you stand for oh my god his character just like huh <laughs> like what do i stand for because through all that like emotional turmoil he still like lacks the depth needed to analyze any of it right, like, right. he can't do it it's just right oh uh, i thought his character was like perfect just like dad he's yeah. just like kind of checked out is yeah. so self-involved with his own crap 
it's kind of nice to see like Zahn. He like you can see that he can. There's a like whatever this next phase is, is him playing this kind of weird middle aged guy. Like because yeah. that angst when he was younger, like sure was funny, but I feel like it really suits him now. Like as he's gotten older and like you know that he now looks like he. I don't know. It just feels like more spot on. And then also like Molly Shannon too. It's just really yeah. dope to just see like you're like fuck, dude. Molly Shannon has like always been super talented, but like now she's getting like great roles to really you know yeah. spread her wings in. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was a great role. There's one more moment with Steve's on. The moment he gets the call from his uncle and he's like, well, how did my dad die of AIDS? And he's like, he was sleeping around with men. That face he makes, I cried. Just his, yeah. I think his facial expressions alone throughout the series of just like complete confusion. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> like what? He, yeah, he embodied the like circuits frying in a computer. But yeah. somehow made that a facial expression. And then the face he's making when he's just sitting like this the next day, where it's with his hand, with his face in his hand, and his daughter's being like, that's really homophobic for you to be this upset about it. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like, like, what if grandpa speak. was like a power bottom? And yeah. he's just like, he can't process any of the information. I mean, I was so dying. Mike White, the creator and writer of the show's dad, was Reverend Dr. James Melville White, a former speechwriter oh. and ghostwriter for the religious right figures such as Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. Oh, shit. His father came out as gay in 1994. So mm-hmm. that's oh. a kind of lived-in experience. Right, That's right. cool. And Or interesting, more. Yeah, and then the other character I just want to, like— Murray Bartlett as Armand is like one of the most realistic depiction of like a relapse just of being high and like uninhabited and or uninhibited and just like that performance is fucking incredible. Yeah, that especially that last episode when like he's like, fuck it, baby. It's the send off. Yeah, Yeah. it's yeah that I mean, his whole it's also like you really felt for his character, too, because like. You know, like he's he's trying to keep his shit together. He's trying to stay clean. And he's also like in the midst of like the most chaotic week of his career is like managing a hotel with like unruly guests, finding bags of drugs and not knowing what to do. And like his own demons. It's like, yeah, Yeah. it's funny because he provided a lot of comedic relief, but also like super like you said, like this very realistic portrayal of uh, of someone just like struggling with their own addiction too. Yeah, yeah. I also like that the people around him were kind of like, okay, Armand. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, one was right. really that concerned that this guy was so off the deep end. Like, right. you open your door and your boss is eating ass. Like, that's a problem. Yeah. But everyone was just like, you know what? Not my business. And if yeah, you yeah. haven't seen the show, <laughs> it's yeah, you'll. You'll be surprised, but it's, I think it's worth checking out for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. We should probably put a spoiler alert at the he- beginning of this because right. this is... No, I think this is... Spoiler fine. alert. Spoiler alert. Oh, spoiler yeah. Circa yeah. 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Is... All you can eat buffet. Oh. <laughs> Dylan. Love that. I actually really like Dylan. He doesn't yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I can have any shift I want. <laughs> You're like, dude, have more like... <laughs> Right, and then I was kind of like, "Yo, this is so gross," and then I'm like, "Well, like this is this is this dark comedy shit." Yeah, it's like finally let's party. There is a scene last episode. That's the grossest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, with well, Armand. I mean, that has to be real. They have to have like shown actual, like that. that right, you can't yeah. fake that, or you it I would cost know, a lot of money to fake that, or you just put know. it in a post. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You think that was digitized? I don't oh, think so, God, man. That I, makes it worse. I, re- I, re- I ran Someone that back a number that. of times and just like watch it and frame by frame. And I'm pretty sure oh, that really? was You real. did your own yeah, case yeah. studies of yeah. you yourself <laughs> trying to replicate the shot. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And, yeah, uh, Sarah's like, what are you doing in the bathroom? You're like, nothing. <laughs> they got everything Get right out! about the flop. <laughs> Where's yeah. my suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> I got a new one coming in the mail. Don't worry about it. Anna, uh, as always, such pleasure uh, having you and your streaming corner on. Where can people find you and follow you? Well, hold on. I have to do my outro song for streaming. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm just joking. Could you add like another 40 on That's the end of streaming mm. corner. Thank there you. Um, yeah, can I hit the horn section from Spodiotidopolicious. Thank you. I also sampled that. All right. That's going to do it for this week's weekly Zeitgeist. Please like and review the show if you like the show. Uh, means the world to Miles. He, he needs your validation, folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend, and I will talk to you Monday. Bye. Bye.